0: how do people build for sustainability? How does design, your build process, your operate process, all of that change? This is another wave that's happening that people should sort of wake up and get ready because it's not cheap. How do you talk to your clients around that balance of sustainability with cost? Infrastructure will need to get overhauled to meet the net zero outcomes. That's where I would say leaders need to also focus as they're probably grappling with things like labor shortage and supply challenges and getting to the cloud. I mean, this is here, real, (laughs) and the next wave that's going to happen.
1: Welcome to The Restless Ones. I'm Jonathan Strickland. As you may know, I've spent the last 15 years covering technology and learning how it works, demystifying everything from massive parallel processing to advanced robotics and everything in between. Yet, it's the conversations with some of the most forward-thinking leaders, those at the intersection of technology and business, that fascinate me the most. Raji Arasu has worked at companies like Oracle, eBay, and Intuit as an engineer and technology leader before bringing her expertise to Autodesk. In our conversation, I learned about her approach to leadership and her passion for leveraging the right technological solution to solve challenging problems. From computer-generative design to mixed reality, we talked about how cutting-edge technology allows for new approaches to old problems. I also learned valuable lessons about the way to approach leadership by building, supporting, and listening to teams. This was a fun talk, and I really could have chatted with Raji for hours about science, technology, and communication. But before we dive into all of that, I first wanted to learn more about Raji's own history. Raji, first of all, let me welcome you to the Restless Ones. It is a pleasure to have you on the show.
0: Jonathan, thank you for having me here and giving me an opportunity to connect to this audience through your
1: podcast. Oh, absolutely. We're going to be covering a lot of topics that I'm really excited about. But before we get into any of that, I would love to hear how you decided to pursue an education and then subsequent career in technology.
0: As you can tell from maybe my accent and pronunciation, I grew up in India. I always loved watching science, helping us do some unimaginable things. I was a total geek. <laughs> Watching people landing on the moon. I, I remember my favorite moment being in 1983 when Guillaume Bluford became the first black astronaut to travel to space. It was pretty awesome to watch that. I used to also geek out on things like Hope in Our Surgery episodes. I don't know if you remember this, but the first time they telecasted through Channel 8 and Arizona Heart Institute that was better than any action movie for me. My love for science and things out there led me to my accidental discovery and selection of computer engineering. And I remember like, not really knowing what it was all about. It just sounded pretty cool. <laughs> so this is so new, those days. When I came home for summer, my family would wonder why I could not rewire the antenna or electric lines. <laughs> you know, after many courses in engineering, <laughs> they would ask me, like, aren't you an engineer? I started my first job, actually, after college, digitizing maps for phone lines for the state through AutoCAD. And now many, many decades later, I've come full circle to working at Autodesk.
1: I want to learn more about your experience. I mean, you've obviously, you've worked for several big name tech companies. I'm curious, did you notice any sort of commonalities between the different companies that you worked with? Or were they each sort of unique in their own mission and needs? That's a great question, Jonathan. I think,
0: you know, my background is definitely leading tech and business transformations for e-commerce, payment, fintech, you know, you see entertainment, a bunch of different industries. And, you know, it's interesting when you start to look at that and where I'm at Autodesk, I think where the similarity comes in is all of the platform transformation the cloud journey, the common capabilities, and how we think about creating or attracting talent within the companies around distributed systems and systems thinking. All of that stuff is pretty much the same across the board. I think it's this business uh, model transformations or even the domains that we work in, which are different. And sometimes the pace of adopting technology solutions in these businesses are different. I mean, we see this. You know, we at Autodesk, we support three major industries architecture, engineering, construction, is one of our key ones, manufacturing, and media and entertainment. We have multiple infrastructure categories like transportation, land development, and water. Coming into the company, I was like, wow, I mean, that's a lot of different things. And finding, however, there are lots of things that are common across these industries. But all of these industries are different levels and maturity in terms of adopting technology. And you have to, as a technologist walking in, you have to understand that nuance. And that's the initial time that you spend is understanding your customers, your business, your domain, and understanding what's going to work
1: and what's futuristic. I think that's key. We've already kind of touched on Autodesk, but I'm curious, what actually brought you over to Autodesk? I had to reflect on this.
0: In our lives, even though we say that relationships and people are everything, in reality, we associate a lot of value to the physical assets and experiences that we collect over time. Our living spaces, the cars, the gadgets, the content we consume for entertainment, I mean, we take pride in them and we feel a sense of achievement. So as consumers, we continue to demand more and more out of these things. And we want to live in these connected, smart cities, use the latest tech. We want to have less maintenance, sustainable, cost-effective assets. And then this voracious appetite for new and differentiated content. And that's where Autodesk came in for me. It was 40 years in this business of making customers who design and make these digital and physical assets for exactly these kinds of consumers around the world. And our customers architects, the general contractors, the structural engineers, manufacturers, and production studios, they are creating these assets for our everyday life experience. And that was what was the realization. I was really intrigued by what Autodesk was doing and how it was actually shaping everything around us and actually going to enhance our life experience.
1: My own personal experience, I remember in high school, I had a friend who was in drafting class, and that's where I first learned about the term computer-assisted design. And the more I learned about it, the more excited I got, especially when my friend presented me with an enormous poster that was a vector line drawing of a Klingon bird of prey starship from the Star Trek series that he had meticulously designed in AutoCAD. Out of curiosity, how do you explain what your job is to say a casual acquaintance, someone who's not in the industry?
0: At Autodesk, we are going through a platform transformation as a company. And as a chief technology officer, my job is to steward this transformation through our technical teams. If that's all you take away, that's pretty much <laughs> pretty <laughs> much a summary. <laughs> what is this journey? What is this platform transformation and journey about? It is really to accelerate our customer's digital transformation across industries. I mean, that's the destination. And like every CTO, there are hundreds of things to get done <laughs> every day. But at the end of the day, I find myself focusing on three areas. One I would say is building the foundational blocks. The tech leaders who are listening to this know this. This is really hard, right? Building foundation for the long run is always hard when you have short-term outcomes. But it pays back leaps and bounds over time. I have three industries and multiple infrastructure products in our portfolio. You talk about shared tech, there's a lot of opportunity. And with that shared technology, we can actually accelerate our industry and sometimes even cross-industry solution. A good example for that would be the connected data digital thread that runs through our project lifecycle. You know, based on anything you're building, it's a building, it's an infrastructure piece, movie, any of that requires a project life cycle. How cool is it if you have data that really connects these disciplines, cuts down time and labor? And so those are things that are common and I'm constantly looking for them. And, you know, we're constantly as a company, you know, finding ways to invest in there. The second one I think is really key for me is, how do I extend my ecosystem? And when I say ecosystem, these are our partners, our system integrators. These are our valuable assets. They take our APIs and SDKs and make it work for the customer's last mile niche needs. Sometimes it's extending the workflows, automating their processes, or connecting to the backend. I mean, that third-party ecosystem is something my teams try to nurture and grow, because that's really, really part of our overall offering and solution. The last one, I think, is we have an amazing effort that we have in our research labs in multiple locations around the world, and we do some amazing work with large companies, industry thought leaders, and academia on ideas that are about seven to 10 years out. Either it's designing for net zero industrialized construction or adaptive manufacturing, you know, concepts like these that are getting fleshed out. And we get to work with these amazing thought leaders across the world. And that's exciting. So in summary, I would say building foundational blocks, extending my ecosystem and maybe shaping the future through our research work. These are these are key focus areas for me.
1: That's that's an extensive explanation that I really appreciate. One thing I really wanted to ask you about, I saw in a, a previous interview you had done that when you first arrived at Autodesk, you chose to go on what you called a listening tour, which I think is a phenomenal yeah. idea. Could you talk a little bit more about the listening tour and what you learned through that experience? How much time you got, John?
0: <laughs> <laughs> when you join a company, this is a precious time that you have to get into a listening tour, Right and you start with a clean slate and you can draw the picture the way you heard it not the way people have told you but you know you're hearing it from folks across the company i might have started with like 80 employees various functions some even ex employees customers and partners it happened over the course of 6 weeks it was really really insightful you know you're kind of not emotionally attached to anything at that point and you know you don't have baggage of having built something and it's not working yet and all of that stuff. This really creates active listening. And it was amazing. I learned a lot about things that we're doing right. Our amazing products, our loyal customers, our design and build talent, our work around 3D graphics, geometry, modeling, all of this were like pretty cutting edge But going through this, I also found out that the platform journey was a paradigm shift as a company that we were going through. It required more specificity. It required people to understand what a platform was, what its capabilities would look like, who, and how should we build this. These are really key, you know, sort of insights I gathered and helped to shape our platform strategy and areas we needed to prioritize for three to five years. I know there are many books and articles that talk about going on a listening tour. I would highly recommend for anybody joining, you know, a new company and being exposed to new domains, industries. It's a really game-changing experience.
1: Yes, I imagine not only does it educate you about the company and its processes and its products and its impact on its clients and its partners, but it also helps start to build that connection with all those different divisions and both internal and external where you're showing that you have that desire to learn and to understand. So I think that that goes a long way to establishing a good foundation to build upon. I'd love to talk more about some of the emerging technologies that the company is really diving into and working with. Can you talk a little bit about some of the, what my friends would call the cool stuff?
0: There's so much cool stuff. (laughs) I'm going to prioritize a few areas. One that I think we are very excited about, and you've heard this probably, this term being used in our industry called generative design. Mm -hmm. Think about this as computer-generated design. We have so much data, product data, and now with all of the computational power that we could use you know, using AI and artificial intelligence and machine learning, we can apply that to design processes, making a computer be the design partner, offering options for designers instead of just sort of documenting their design. And that's going to fundamentally transform how design will be done and how operating data from things like digital twin And others could be used to create design styles and score them for different various performance indicators like sustainability, cost, maintainability, constructability. There are so many different things that can be taken into consideration in the sort of multidimensional outcomes that we can drive. That's really going to change the world of an architect. I think there's going to be a lot of association where they're going to be expected to deliver these performance outcomes in the physical assets that they're building. And that has to be taken into account earlier on in the design. And how do we simplify this? I look at that as a whole paradigm shift going from CAD to really a a computer-generated design world and the elevated role that it let our architects play in that world. So that's one concept we at Autodesk actively research. The other one I think is worth mentioning is is our, you know, our convergence of industries that's happening. We're seeing this where we see many manufacturing methods being applied to building industry. And we're excited about that because there's stuff that we're looking at, which really, really solves for modular construction, and in some cases, even being able to do that fabrication and really accelerate the time that it takes to build and construct. In the future, maybe even things like autonomous construction of buildings and things that will happen because it's modular. And how does that really change the world? This is the world that where manufacturing, design, and construction all come together in a very unique way driven by the need to go faster and driven by the need to reduce. And then the last one, I think, is really this whole concept of how the shop floor or what we call the factory floor is going to change. And I, I think similar to data centers and others, I think you're going to see this next way where our factory floors are going to be configurable and easy to change products that are built autonomous, remotely operated, a lot of things happening, uh, compute happening on the edge and safety, maintainability, all of this built in, you know, this is a factory of the future. And a lot of that is mentioned in industry 4.0, but how do we really make that happen? I think that's another really important emerging technology that we look into.
2: Conventional thinking says you have to pay more to get more. I want the world. But T-Mobile for Business uses unconventional thinking to deliver premium benefits for better ROI. From customized 5G solutions to 360 support, we help you reach your business goals right now. I want it now. Innovating to improve business today and tomorrow. That's unconventional thinking from T-Mobile for Business. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com.
1: we're now entering a world where we're capable of having this incredible wireless connectivity that gives us fiber level work but you're no longer tethered by cables how does connectivity play a part in this future that is so true 5G is going to
0: play a huge role in industries we support and connectivity through that 5G promised to remove dependence upon like workstations and installed infrastructure It's going to really transform the virtual reality and XR experiences, for example. And I don't mean from an entertainment perspective. We are talking about, you know, streaming directly to VR sets and on-demand video, the way it's streamed to TVs today. This is going to change how people interact with each other. It's going to enable our workers at remote sites with limited connectivity to now fully experience these immersive virtual models. And we see this today, like in you know, our augmented reality, we we see people wanting to project their detailed design in areas of where the construction is happening. And they want that easy access and be able to actually visualize it. And these are the kind of real scenarios that's going to demand that immersive experience. Specifically in e- media and entertainment production, we see that 5G is going to provide support for some really Rich data workflows on film shoots and sets, right? And it's going to support the move for production in the cloud, and it's going to really create like these bigger worlds with, you know, rich stories. And people also want a simulated experience before they buy things, right? I look at myself, I wanted to see the layout of my new home or office. We want to be able to simulate furniture, appliances, and and you know really experience it before we buy these things. And I know this is there's a lot of promise for metaverse right now, but the, I'm talking about not a hypothetical world. This is our real world needs for consumption that's going to really be dependent on five G and connectivity.
1: Yeah, I I see augmented reality being as disruptive and transformational as 3D printing was a decade ago, where 3D printing enabled that rapid prototyping where you no longer had to wait for a sculptor to create whatever physical model you needed. You could make fast adjustments on the fly, wait, you know, half an hour, an hour for a small model to be printed Now we're talking about having that capability, but in an augmented sort of virtual projection over our real world surroundings for businesses like architecture, I imagine that being absolutely transformational, like the ability to show a client, well, we've worked up five different designs and you can see what they will look like (laughs) on the site by just putting on these glasses and we will cycle through them and show you all the different assets you can even show in different layers, like here's the wiring, here's the air duct system. We recently acquired the Wild to offer our customers more
0: immersive and these collaborative workspaces. One, our customers want their remote teams working together, doing these conceptual design, and we do that in architecture and construction. But I, I think where you are going is, what happens next? Is then the customers actually engage with the client, and they want to show them these visual experiences that are super immersive. In some cases, they want to be able to edit those immersive experiences, be able to edit it and bring it back to 3D and 2D. In some cases, this design firm is having a conversation with the general contractor and showing the different layers that you talked about. I mean, these conversations become so much more easier when you have that sort of granular information and then you're able to use XR to really take it to the next level.
1: I know that the the history of augmented reality has its roots in laying out wiring on airplanes. Like That was one of the earliest applications of augmented, beyond the HUD systems that you saw in, say, the jets for the Air Force. In my mind, that's still one of the most phenomenal applications for it. Something where it, it effectively gives you the ability to both see the future and X-ray vision at the same time. So, I'm curious also what went into getting Autodesk to get behind a unifying vision like the Forge platform? First of all, can you talk a little bit about what the Forge platform is and the process of getting the company buy in to pursue that?
0: Forge platform is actually two different things. Internally, for us, it's an amazing way of taking these shared capabilities that we're building across industries and sort of use that to accelerate our industry solutions. Externally, it is the same capability, same APIs, same SDKs that we provide to our customers and our partners. And many of our partners, this is the ecosystem that I talk about, they're extending these to create new workflows for our customers, in some cases, connecting their backend systems. And sometimes it's about automating their processes. That's what they're doing. And I think it's really, really a new way of consuming our capabilities. Traditionally, folks have come in and they've used products and they'll continue to use products and experiences that come out of the box through Autodesk offerings. But I think the new way is also to be able to get these APIs and capabilities. And a lot of what we see is people want to pull out the product data, transform it, and then maybe even customize it and send it back. I mean, there's a lot that's happening in real time, and our largest customers love these mechanisms to integrate. So that's what, for us, the Forge platform means. It means the same APIs internally accelerating our industry solutions, and it also means the same that we provide our customers and partners so they can extend their workflows, they can build new solutions, and you know go through this digital transformation faster.
1: That's a powerful message to give to clients, right? Like, this is the tool we use to do what we do. And we're extending that capability to our clients and our customers. That, to me, is the most powerful sales point, right? We use it. <laughs> the proof is there. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's eat your own dog food for sure. And and they love that. It really takes away the conversation around, hey, is this reliable? Is this Is
1: this something you're committed to? Because, gee, we use it. I'm curious, with the onset of the pandemic and so many companies needing to adapt and pivot and to find new ways to approach the way they do business, did you see a much more aggressive trend toward digitization?
0: Absolutely, Jonathan. I think we were on the front lines of both needing to adapt adapt as well as witnessing the extreme challenges among our customers in every industry we support. We knew we had to help our customers adapt as quickly as possible to pandemic. And the most common thread for all was a need for digitization. In many cases, it was, you know, it actually accelerated the move to cloud. And we saw that. We saw a lot of folks actually sort of going and doing that with a lot more urgency. And the second one was the support for remote workforces. I think it's like, how do tool and technologies enable that? I think our customers were just used to being all present at the site and being able to put together, even design firms worked on the site. And now they're suddenly faced with this reality of remote workforces. The last but not the least, I think, is a ton of labor shortage and supply, you know, which you have been hearing is real. And, you know, how does this... Supply chain disruption and this global interdependency play out for our customers, and how do we help them through that stuff? I think these are real issues that we see, and it definitely helped you know make the case for going faster using technology, using cloud and some of these to sort of accelerate helping them with remote workforces and helping them with digitization. The other one, I think, that came up a little bit, you know, it it was always there, but actually kind of accelerated with the COP26 and all of that conversation is, how do people build for sustainability? How does design, your build process, your operate process, all of that change for sustainability? And this is another wave that's happening that people should sort of wake up and get ready for because it's not cheap to build sustainable. you know, a process. And and so how does that work? How do you talk to your clients around that balance of sustainability with cost? And as you have, you know, I know in this podcast, you had covered many times about smart cities and smart infrastructure with a lot of emphasis on infrastructure will need to get overhauled to meet the net zero outcomes. That's why you're seeing all these bills globally being passed And this is where I think Autodesk, we do a lot around things like SpaceMaker, which actually helps you sort of design smart cities and then InnoWise and Tandem that lets you work with smart infrastructure. These are the kind of things that we need to really double down on and adopt because that's the future. And it's going to be starting with understanding how to build for sustainability, but it's going to soon get to having conversations around net zero. So how do you start? thinking about design to actually operating these physical assets in a way that actually tackles that. That's where I would say leaders need to also focus as they're probably grappling with things like labor shortage and supply challenges and getting to the cloud. I mean, this is here, real, (laughs) and the next wave that's going to happen.
1: Yeah, I could not agree more. Your motto, you've said, is to make new mistakes and learn fast every day. Could you share with us, a mistake you may have made and how you learned and grew from it? It's a motto that helps me, but not,
0: you know, apologize for trying something new, right? I believe that the faster you fail, the faster you learn. Mm-hmm. And very recently, I'll tell you an example. We implemented an API that provides access to granular data for a manufacturing industry. The team debated for days whether this API should be perfected. We might run into scale problems. We might not have all of the features that our large customers need. And then we took a chance and we put it out there for a couple of our large customers. We kind of gave them all of the, sorry, pardon our dust. (laughs) And what was interesting (laughs) about this particular exercise is we were super surprised on our findings we anticipated all of these other problems and they told us something very basic. They said, your APIs, gee, you know, I'm a manufacturing customer and I only know about part numbers and part description and assembly and all of that stuff, but your APIs are very generic terms. We don't know how to make sense out of it because we were really building something that would work across industries. And we forgot that our customers actually need that level of detail that they are used to. So, you know, fast forward, it was an easy one to go fix. We went to a different implementation using GraphQL and all of that. And now it's more contextualized in the way that they want to consume this information. And it got adopted like wildfire with the subsequent releases. But, you know, if we hadn't put it out there and we had debated it, I think we would have missed the opportunity. I think this is why, I mean, you you don't want to make the same mistakes, but as long as they don't put the business at risk for trying out new things and sort of experimentation, that culture of experimentation is something we have to role model and we have to let our teams do that.
1: Well, Raji, I love that answer. It also goes back to the whole concept of listening. I could have talked to Raji for ages. And in fact, we had to edit our conversation down because I got a little carried away. But I still couldn't let her go without asking her one more thing. What do you consider to be your proudest achievement? I would say,
0: you know, it's always about
1: people. You
0: as a leader can have visions and strategy, but it's always about the people. So my proudest moment would be when I have a team that can operate without me, they move faster than I'm able to push them. You visit a customer site, and they can't stop praising the work that your team put out there. In all the companies I work for, it's it's a lot of hard work to get to that moment. But when you get to that moment, you sit back and you soak it in, <laughs> and you you know you enjoy that. And that that
1: that moment makes me proud. I think that's a a great testament to the type of leader you are, Raji. Thank you so much for joining us on The Restless Ones. I very much enjoyed our conversation.
0: Thank you, Jonathan. This is real pleasure.
1: Thanks again to Raji Arasu for sharing her time and perspective with us. The task of digitization can be a really daunting one. Companies particularly those with long histories, can find it challenging to adopt new technologies and processes while maintaining the expectations of customers, partners, and other stakeholders. It's no small task to make that kind of move without disrupting business. But as Raji pointed out, it's never been more clear that digitization isn't the future. It's the present. Underneath that digitization, empowering it, is 5G technology, To have the benefits of fiber connectivity, including the low latency needed to minimize decision-making time, all without the need to be tethered by a cable, is transforming businesses at a phenomenal pace. It's now possible for companies across all industries to make massive, rapid shifts to meet new needs, whether that is enabling remote work or implementing a comprehensive digital strategy crucial for organizational success. make sure to download future episodes of The Restless Ones, where I'll have more conversations with leaders who are defining how technology will shape the business of tomorrow. I'll see you then.
2: T-Mobile for Business knows companies want more than a one-size-fits-all approach to support. I want the world. So we provide 360 support customized to your business from discovery through post-deployment. You'll get a dedicated account team and expertise from solutions engineers and industry advisors already right now. I want it now. 360 support that's customized for your success. That's unconventional thinking from T-Mobile for Business.